Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Isusu Christu. Just a few announcements. Rhonda's here, and she lost her mother this past week, and they're taking her down to where her there's a lot of people and family that know her, so she will not be buried from here. But I sent her my blessing on a cross, which is the key to heaven. So remember, when you bury someone you love, you put the key to heaven in their hands, the cross. I buried my mother and father. It was a hard job. Bishop told me it's the hardest job a priest ever has is to bury his parents. So I understand what she's going through. And also, she was my child because I baptized her, chrismated her, and gave her First Communion and put a beautiful cross on her and she was very happy. So we commend her to the hands of our Heavenly Father and to the joy of the Spirit and the grace of seeing the glorified Lord. So have no fear, and she will have her key. Now the rest of the announcements deal with this week. This is the Sunday before Christmas and his first announcement of the birth of Jesus in the gospel was today, after the genealogy, and that today we start singing Christmas carols. That key sort of, a, of course, in the monastery, we sing Christmas carols for a long time now because uh, we have to practice them, so, because Christmas comes quickly, and then we don't get to sing those carols anymore. It's still Christmas, but a lot of other things interfere with the Christmas carols. But we'll keep them up as much as we can. And we'll sing some our own traditional carols. We'll also sing some of the traditional carols uh, of the local people, you know. Um, so about the Christmas schedule. The great first uh, Christmas Eve is, I think it's Friday, right? Yeah. So that's called the parami of Christmas. It's the preparation for the birth. Probably is a more heavily celebrated feast among the Slavs than Christmas Day. And so usually on that day, the Holy Supper is prepared. And the Basil's liturgy is celebrated and um, with Vespers. And more than likely, we will have that in here at 4 o'clock in the afternoon because we'll have to go back to the rectory to have our Holy Supper. And uh, Christmas Compline will be um, uh, probably said in the monastery. Christmas Day will follow the usual holiday schedule. So we'll have matins at 8 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock divine liturgy. 
And uh, so that's the schedule for Christmas. A lot easier than Holy Week, I tell you, a lot easier. Okay, now uh, I'm gonna start with the homily now. They called him Emmanuel. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. We don't think about it too much, except when you become older. But when you're young, you don't think about it at all. Because you know your mother and your father usually, or those who are acting as your mother and father. You know your grandparents. And you might know a little bit about your great-grandparents. But in the genealogy of our Lord, uh, they had many, many um, forebearers. Now, these were not ordinary people. They were holy people. And that's why the genealogy is there. They're telling us a long line of people who served God and lived and died for him and prayed with the forebearers to Christ. There was in that genealogy, there are three or four love stories, not, some of them a little bit sordid, but the most part, heroes of faith. As bad as people were for waiting for the coming of the Christ, there is also very, very good people. And some of the people are in the genealogy of Christ. They're not really related to him. It's interesting, but they were wonderful, faithful people. I used to pick out each year one of those saints and talk about them, but I'm not doing that this year. I'm thinking about family. So a thousand years ago, somebody was on this earth that is your ancient forebearer, or you won't be here. And somebody, each generation, produced children. And then those children, for hundreds and hundreds of years, have produced children, and now you're here. So you didn't get here by accident. It was the will of God and many, many people. The first uh, trip I took to Europe, I was very uh, inquisitive about where my Slav uh, grandparents came from. And um, I knew all about my mother's family. They'd been here 400 years, first families of Virginia. And recently they had a course on or a series about the first families of Virginia. I tell you, it was not very edifying, but I watched part of it as much as I could stand and then I stopped watching it. And of course, my relatives never told us anything like that. They belonged to the VFV, the First Families of Virginia, and that was quite an aristocratic thing in the United States. As Slavs, 
my grandfather came and grandmother in 1908-1905 from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And the Ruthenians, our church, has a long history with the Austro-Hungarian Empire because Maria Theresa, the famous empress, who lived the life in fear of somebody killing her all the time because she was an empress, uh, she protected our people from the Hungarians and all sorts of people and actually spread our church into Bulgaria, the, uh, what's today is Croatia, and all those other areas where they went in sorts of work about 200 years ago. So when I went to Slovakia, I didn't look for my cousins. Most of them were killed by the wars anyway and I had a few in the United States, and I just wanted to see the country. It wasn't much different than any other country. It has a lot of mountains. And I looked at the plants, and I, looked, I know the names of plants, and I saw they had the same plants we had. I looked at their villages. They live a different type of life. And I noticed that Slovakia was better off than Karpatarus, is richer. And, uh, and I went to the church in where my, grand, my forebearers were buried. And I talked about my, to my grandfather about that. I asked him one time, well, where is everybody buried? She, he, he says, oh, in the churchyard in Preshov. That's like a sort of a city there. They didn't live there. They lived in the village somewhere. Just recently, they had their own church in the village, just built. And uh, <clears throat> I said, how many years have we been burying people there? He says, about 800 years. And I couldn't, I could not conceive that. 800 years. I said, do you know who they are? He says, well, in the church they have a book and all their names are in there. Books, the church. And you know, the communists, they tried, tried to destroy those books on us. But you know, they hid them. So I could go in there and they were written in Latin. And I can read a little Latin and it was true. 800 years of Stanichars, Daniels, and whenever groups of people or other families came down that line to produce me. I said, well, how many graves do we have in there? He says, maybe two. I said, you mean to tell me there's 800 people in two graves? He says to me, well, you know, Everybody isn't born at the same time, and everybody doesn't lay down and die at the same time. So we just op we open the graves in turn, and we bury that person. If there are a few bones, we push them to the side, and the next person went in. I was, I was so scandalized. I said, well, in America, everybody gets their own grave. Well, burying people in America is sort of a racket. costs a lot of money, not in Europe. He says to me, Yoshko, he called me Little Joe. 
you should not be scandalized. He says, when we come from our mother's womb, brothers and sisters, we don't complain, do we? I says, well, no. He says, well, when we go back to Mother Earth, to the wound of the earth, we should not complain. Very practical. And there are no great monuments. Now they're getting monuments, but there were no great monuments or things there in the cemetery. But they knew where the graves were. Now that's just one consideration of my family. You should ask, especially you people who are, came out here 100, 150 years ago and settled the Northwest. You should figure out where everybody's buried or what happened to them. We're not too good about that here. So now I'm in the process of doing something about, we have consecrated ground now here. When the bishops came and consecrated the church, they consecrated the ground. And so I'm trying to figure out just how I'm gonna plan that ground where the monks, the generations of monks will live and die here. They'll be in consecrated ground. And I hope we keep good records of them. My mom and dad, there was a family cemetery in Yonkers, but I don't have the deed to that. So my mother and father, I put them in a mausoleum in a monastery on Mount Macrina in two uh, they have two slots, and there's a third one there if I wish to go there. But they're there in a holy place, and the nuns go there all the time and pray. Now, in the most famous prayer in the Eastern Church for the dead is the Panahida. And you rarely hear it. We sing it in the monastery on, we sang it uh, Saturday as part of the liturgy. We sing it quite often because Saturday is always dedicated to the deceased. And then people who know come, if they have someone, they ask for a liturgy, and that always ends with a panahita, or a panahita is contained in that. It's the most popular prayer in the Eastern Church, the prayers we say for our deceased. Some people do not pray for their deceased. That's a crime, because they worked, and they suffered, and they died. They were baptized. They handed down the Catholic faith, especially the Byzantines, and you're here. Wonderful. If they had none of them had done that, it would be a problem. In America, there is very little respect for life much less ancestors. I went to the funeral, I had the funeral of Father Frank and his few family that's left of them. Uh, they were there and there was a cousin who was talking to the boys, these two boys. And he says, Dad, why do we have to come here for the burial of Father Frank? He says, because He's my cousin. We're from the same stock. We're from the same line, with the same bloodlines. And you boys, he said, you have to learn that. You have to know what family means. 
Now, this genealogy of Jesus is telling us what family means. It's a hard lesson. Because when people die, we like to forget about it in America. Go on with the party. That's not right. Especially in the military, as a chaplain, I was often a couple times in a military hospital. And I would go each day through and make a list for the men or women who wanted communion. Next day, I'd bring them communion. Sometimes the next day, I would go with the communion. They weren't there. They died during the night and were removed. I went to the hospital to anoint someone and they had already put them in the death wrap. And they didn't even come to help me uh, loosen that wrap so I could anoint them with the holy oil. I thought some nurse or somebody would, I did it by myself. I had to do a guy in the mortuary. He wasn't even dressed. I mean, there's no respect for the dead here. That means there's no respect for the family. That means you're here and you don't care where you came from. Some people don't even know who they are. It's a topic of conversation in the, the monastery, especially when we get a new candidate to find out who he is. We know who he is. We want to know where he comes from, his parents, his grandparents, his heritage, because we want to appreciate that. And he want to know where our, what families produced our monks. That's important. You know, someday each of us is going to fall asleep in the Lord. And they have to write an obituary if they want to spend any money on you because you have to pay to put that in the newspaper. And this is a small town. Sometimes they list them for free. They have to know something about you. And we have a lot of broken families. That's sad. Everybody's worth remembering. Everybody is loved by God. Now, when Emmanuel came, which means God is with us, it was prepared for, for a couple thousand years, wasn't it? Maybe not that long. Uh, 14, 14, 14 generations. I don't know how to count that, actually, what a generation was at that time. But you know, it says in the Bible, a thousand years is a better day to the Lord. Now, each one of those people were important to God. Nobody comes on the earth which is not important to God. But the most important person he sent to us was his son. And he prepared for his coming through all these generations of people from Adam to David all the way down to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the most holy, most pure, most blessed. And just preparing today for the um, sermon, I have a book that uh, talks about each feast day. And I looked it up about her feast days. 
And she was, you know, three years old. She was the daughter of very distinguished family line of priests and prophets, royalty, and her parents were sort of old, and they brought her to the temple to be raised. And the angel Gabriel fed her on food from heaven. And when she came of her age, when she was coming into her womanhood, uh, it was a problem because they did not keep women who were mature in the temple. An exception had to be made if she was very holy and innocent. Even the high priest knew she was special. And so she was allowed to remain in the temple until they could find someone to take care of her. So they all called around the tribe of her relatives, the men, because you didn't marry out of your tribe. And they looked for a worthy man. And they told them to bring their staff. So Joseph and all the other men of the family who were maritable brought a staff. And the priest put it on the altar, all these staffs. And in the icon, you see Mary standing behind those staffs, behind the holy table. And so then he, after the priest prayed over those staffs and blessed them, uh, they all picked them on up. When Joseph picked up his staff, it bloomed. So you see Joseph, not in this particular icon, but a like, other icons, a lily is blooming in his staff. That's not because he was a virgin. He probably was not. But he was a pure man, lived a holy life, and that's the one the Holy Spirit chose. It was a problem for him. Because he took, was going to take Mary home, and he found out she had conceived a child. Unacceptable. He could have her stoned to death for infidelity. He knew he had not touched her. An angel Gabriel comes again to Joseph, says, Do not be fair to take Mary as your wife. What is born of her is of the Holy Spirit. And this was the very Son of God, whose birth we will celebrate this week. No child's preparation do we remember like his. And so the genealogy. And so the beauty of the miracles. We contemplate a wondrous mystery. His child is coming to earth who looks like his mother, who didn't have an earthly father. His hair, his eyes, his hands, his skin was of his mother. And she was a fountain of beauty and grace. And she gave birth to the Son of God, the very Son of the Heavenly Father. And he is our Savior. 
Do not forget what God the Father has done for you. For Christmas Eve is when we celebrate what the Father has done for us. And the next day we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Lord, our brother. And because he has a face and eyes and hands, he looks like one of us. And may we grow to look like him in the grace and life he offers us and the light of knowledge so that we will fulfill our destiny. So when our earth is put into, excuse me, when our body is put into the earth, we will meet with our soul the glory in heaven. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.